Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. We are so glad that you are here today and I am really glad that you are here today. This is just one of those days when I think we need to be together with everything going on in our world right now with everything happening in Afghanistan with uh, with Haiti's recent uh, damage and uh, with the earthquake in Haiti and now with storm bearing down on Louisiana just things just sometimes seem to pile up and I think it's important for us as the people of God to be able to get together first of all on some of those notes people have been asking me uh, quite a few questions about how we as First Presbyterian Church are getting involved and Right now, since some of those situations are still developing, we are still putting our plans together for how to respond to the Afghan refugee crisis, how we're going to respond to, uh, with our mission partners in Haiti, how we're going to assist in efforts in Louisiana. But, but we are having discussions about those things, and I wanted you to know that, that we will be um, putting out information as we get more information so that we can make sure that we are involved, not just in loving Christ and loving one another, but so that we, are, we continue to love the city by loving the neighborhood and the nations. But in all these things, it is so good that we can come together as the people of God to pray, to listen, to think, to worship our God. But let me ask you a question this morning. How did you get to church this morning? I don't mean, did you drive in a car? I don't mean, did you walk or ride a bicycle or something like that? I mean, how did you get here? What was the route that you took? For, for the five years that I've been here, most mornings, most Sunday mornings, I will jump on 410 and then hop on 281. I'm down here in about 15 minutes. No problems. Traffic's usually pretty light when I get here on Sunday mornings. On weekdays, I usually, because the traffic's a little heavier, but it's more consistent going through town, I usually jump on on Austin Highway, then come all the way on Broadway, all the way down here to McCullough and take a left turn and head to the church. But one thing I've noticed is that over COVID and especially over the last few months, that drive has become much more complicated. How many of you all have Broadway at some point on your flight path to get here on Sunday mornings? Anybody else? Have you noticed how one day they block off this lane, they block off this lane, this next week they'll block off a couple blocks, then they move it, then they block them off again. You think they're finished with that area, but they're not. And every day it's like, how am I going to get to church? There's a new detour here. I have to go around this side. I have to go up another whole route. How am I going to get to church? And every day it seems to get a little bit more complicated. And please understand, I'm not complaining much but I have actually invited friends to come to church. And I've said, hey, why don't you come to church on Sunday, this Sunday? And they say, great. And what they'll tell me is that I tried to get downtown, but I couldn't figure out how to get there. There was a barrier here and there's a barrier here and a detour here. And finally, it just got so compli complicated. I said, enough. I can't do it. I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to go. And, and all of those barriers, all of those additional detours and complications became a deterrent. And I hated that people can't get to church. I mean, when the route becomes so complicated and all the obstacles that you jump become such an obstruction that it becomes too complicated and it becomes a deterrent, that's no good. But that's sometimes what happens. And you know, it's not just the route you take to get here. It's kind of like navigating through life has gotten more and more complicated these days. 
I mean, consider this. When you go out, do you wear a mask or do you not wear a mask? Are we going to be able to eat inside or are we going to have to eat outside? Is there going to be social distancing or not social distancing? Do I, am I going to have to present some kind of vaccine card or not? Am I going to be considered a pariah if I don't have one? What's the situation? What are the rules? I, it's just getting so complicated. I don't know if I even want to go out anymore. And Wait, no, never mind. It's too complicated. I'm done. It's just a deterrent. We just... It seems like one thing gets piled on the next, and before long, you don't know whether you can go out to eat, to the store. You don't know if your kids are going to school, will there be extra regulations, what are the stipulations here, and eventually you just give up. Well, when things get complicated, when things get too complicated, they become a deterrent. They become burdensome to business. They become burdensome to education. They become burdensome to just day-to-day -day life in our world. And people just begin to check out. They begin to opt out and say, it's just not worth all of these complications. But here's the problem. And here's a question I have to ask you. What happens when Christianity gets too complicated? What happens when Christianity is smothered in expectations, in traditions, in, in practices that become such a maze and such a barrier to people that they just say, I can't take it anymore, I'm out. When the noise gets so loud that the message gets drowned out. The problem is that we in the church have made things pretty complicated at times. There are a lot of people who feel that Christianity is just too complicated. They may be attracted to the crystal clear, laser-focused message that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has proven that he loves you. He's proven that he can make a difference in your life now and forever. He has proven that he has a place for you on his team and a position for you, a position for you on his team and a place for you at his table. He's proven these things through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we start adding all these other things to it and it obscures the message and the noise drowns it out. And we who are supposed to tell it begin to think, well, wait a minute, did I say the whole, did I say the whole routine? Did I give them all the information? Do I know what I'm doing? It's too complicated. And we stop telling people what we're supposed to tell them. And we, when we start stop telling people what we're supposed to tell them, they stop hearing what they are supposed to hear. What happens when things get too complicated? Well, in our passage for today, we're going to see that this is not a new problem for God's people. If you would, please turn to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And just to keep things uncomplicated, if you can't find that in your pew Bible, we've got it printed in the bulletin. It's going to be on the screens behind me, or you can just listen. We want to keep this simple. But here is what the Gospel of Mark says in chapter 13. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups, and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? 
Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, or charity, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask that today that you would take away any distraction, that you would push away any clutter, that you would that you would surface your truth, that we may hear it clearly, and that we may read it for ourselves. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at the context of this passage. In the previous chapter... We've seen Jesus send out his disciples to cast out demons, to heal, to preach the kingdom of God. And apparently they were so successful, so successful that they drew the attention of King Herod, who even felt threatened by the rise of Jesus and his movement. And then directly after that, we see that Jesus fed by miracle 5,000 men by the Sea of Galilee, not counting however many thousands of women and children may have been there. The next two stories leading up to this story, which we have passed over today, are the story of Jesus walking on water, a miracle that shows that Jesus has sovereignty and authority over even the laws of physics. And then immediately preceding this story, we read that Jesus was again healing and teaching and casting out demons. Now, any one of these episodes, any one of these single stories is worthy of a headline and would grab worldwide attention today. Each one of these events is enough to stagger the rational mind. From the palace to the village, every eye was turned toward Jesus. He was working wonders beyond reckoning and teaching truth that penetrates the heart and changes lives. But then he met the Pharisees. And after all that, you know what they said to him? The Pharisees challenged him saying, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now just put that in perspective. Jesus is doing all of these incredible things. And all the Pharisees can do is come to him and say, so, what? You and your disciples don't wash your hands. 
Meh, 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 meh. Let's get some perspective here. Jesus' response to them was strong. Jesus said to them, Well, does Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Why was his response so strong? Those are scathing words. Why was his response so strong? Well, Jesus had had to deal with this type of roadblock several times already in the Gospel of Mark. That's why he pushes back so forcefully in this incident. He's already been accused of violating God's laws on the Sabbath for healing people who were sick. He's been accused of associating with tax collectors and sinners and other undesirable, unclean people. He's been accused of making himself unclean by touching dead people, which happened immediately before he raised them from the dead. He's been accused of being in league with demons because he has the power to command them to leave in exorcism. And now, after all that, he's being accused of eating with dirty hands. And with that, the Lord said, enough is enough. This is not about the hands. This is about the heart. Now, while we may discount this situation, and we may consider the Pharisees' words as simply petty, Jesus saw this as tragic. Because even though the Pharisees' criticism just sounds snarky to us, they were deadly serious about this hand-washing business. To them, this was about holiness, and it was about authority. As J.R. Edwards points out, this contention between Jesus and the Pharisees over clean and unclean was symptomatic of a much deeper cleavage. The crux of this cleavage, which concerned this body of regu regulations, is about what is called the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders was this body of regulations of, of oral history that had been passed down from generation to generation. Although the claim can't be substantiated from the Old Testament itself, the Pharisees believed and promoted the idea that Moses had received two laws on Mount Sinai. One, the written Torah, and then the oral Mishnah. In general, the Torah was understood as policy. Its commandments declared what God decreed. But it did not always say how they were expected to be fulfilled. The Mishnah, on the other hand, was the interpretation of how that law should be applied in real time to real life circumstances. And here's the rub. The Pharisees believed that the evolving oral law had as much authority as the Torah itself. By Jesus' day, adherence to the unwritten oral tradition was as important for the Pharisees as was adherence to the Torah 
itself. So violating a regulation, like not washing one's hands, was considered not just a breach of hygiene, but a violation of God's law. In practice, the tradition of the elders tended to shift the center of gravity from the intent of the Torah to an increasing array of peripheral matters that either obscured or perverted the intent of the law. So please understand this. Jesus is not making a polemic against basic hygiene and hand washing. It's not that Jesus wants people to stop washing their hands and that somehow now in the kingdom that griminess rather than cleanliness is next to godliness. This isn't about the hygiene of the hands. This is about the hygiene of the heart. It's about attitude. And it's about the pettiness that traps us and distracts us from God. And this is not just a theological issue. This is a power struggle. On the one hand, it's a power struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees. After all, who speaks for God? Is it the experts and their interpretation, the Pharisees, or is it the Word made flesh, the Son of God? On another level, it's about the source of authority itself in this sense. Which has more authority, the Word of God or the tradition of the elders, the written law or the oral law, the tradition? Who gets the last word? Who gets to be the final arbiter? Jesus is saying that through the word of God, the God of the word gets the last word. His authority is sufficient and his truth is enough. And Jesus was as serious about this as the Pharisees were serious about the hand washing. Here's the problem. The Pharisees were not just being petty. Jesus said that they were dishonoring God. Listen to what he says. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Not God's tradition, your tradition. Jesus exposes that the Pharisees' extreme so-called holiness is not holiness at all. In fact, it's idolatry. What is the definition of idolatry? Idolatry is to put something created in the place of the creator. To give honor, priority, and authority to something less than God. That could be a little gold statue. Or it could be something more abstract. Like money. Or sex or power, or an addiction, or some man-made tradition. And a tradition is not just something that we do. A tradition is something that we think we have to do. A tradition is a habit, a cultural habit, that has the weight of consensus authority. It has the weight of consensus authority because we've always done it this way. And nobody thinks that it's an idol until somebody else tries to change it. Did you know 
that the last seven words of a dying church are, but we've always done it that way. Or, we've never done it that way before. So Jesus is saying, you're criticizing me and my disciples, not based on the laws of God, but based on traditions developed by lesser men. When we elevate tradition to that level, it sets up expectations. And in spiritual matters, tradition is elevated and given the weight of divine authority. So that tradition becomes a commandment and a violation of that tradition is no longer just an infraction or a faux pas. Now it's a sin. And when we do that, we dishonor God. Second, Jesus is telling them that their criticism undermines the mission of the kingdom, thus making void, meaningless, nothing, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. You see, Israel was not just a nation, it was not just another tribe, it was not just a, a group of connected, related people, it was not just a political party. Israel was a nation with a mission. That is to say, they were a people with a purpose. And the mission of Israel was to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And the Apostle Peter says it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, listen to, the, listen to this, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Israel's whole reason for existence, the reason that they were chosen as God's people, was to declare the truth of God to the nations. Their calling was to be the light of the world, a living witness to the loving God. That was their mission. But they forgot their mission. Recently, I've been reading a book about leadership and mission by John Kaiser. And Kaiser says that every game has to have an object and boundaries. So, for example, in soccer, the object is to score the most points by kicking the ball into the goal. The boundaries are the rules, the out-of-bounds lines that define the field, the clock, and the rules of play that keep the players safe and from getting injured. But those are the boundaries. Those are the rules. The object of the game, the mission, is to score points. The problem with the Pharisees was that they were so obsessed with the boundaries that they forgot about the mission. Listen to those words from Peter again. This is not just about being holy and royal. This is about being a light to the nations. It's about telling the good news of God to all peoples. It's about making disciples. It's about telling people what this great God has done. It's about communicating the kingdom of God. That's the mission. But here's the problem. Because the Pharisees were only focused on the boundaries, 
the mission was distorted. They went from being players to umpires. And they missed their calling. And Jesus gave an example in verses 9 through 12. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. And what he's talking about here is people who give charity to the temple. They get to keep it now. They give it away for the future, but now they can't give it to their aging parents. And what Jesus is saying is you're using the laws about charity as an excuse not to take care of your own aging parents. You're using the law as a tax shelter not to take care of your own aging parents. Jesus says that's not why the law was invented. That's not why God gave you the laws of charity and giving and tithes and offerings. Not to, not to take it from your parents, but to use it for the mission of the church. And Jesus is saying, I could give you so many other examples. I'm just getting started. You're using the law for your purposes, not his. They were majoring in the minors. And in their desire to retain the familiar, they had lost all sense of proportion and perspective, making their human interpretation of the law bigger than the law itself, using their limited perspective to bind the conscience and to define the truth of God. They lost their focus on the mission and focused on the minutiae. Here's the heart of the matter. They were abusing the boundaries that God had given in order to distract, divide, and discourage people rather than to protect, unify, and encourage people. Jesus says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For all their self-proclaimed righteousness, they just don't get it. And this is what I call the tradition trap. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. The tradition trap is when human traditions that distract, divide, and discourage distort God's law and take priority over the commandments of God that protect, unify, and encourage. To give a clear example, it's when you give more weight to the tradition of washing one's hands or wearing the right clothes, or wearing a mask, or not wearing a mask, or going to the right school, or, or working, in the right, uh, working in the right office, or worshiping in the right style, or any of those things, when you put any of those things over loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving one another as Christ has loved us. And the danger as Jesus declares, is that when human traditions that distract, divide, and discourage distort God's law and take priority over the commandments of God that protect, unify, and encourage, it makes the word of God void. It makes it void in their lives. And the tradition trap becomes the tradition tragedy. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. You see what happens is that when we start piling on our own regulations, our own traditions, our own preferences on top of the gospel, we bury God's truth and grace 
and we make it too complicated, too complicated and people turn away. They say, that's it, I'm out, I'm giving up. Now, y'all, look at me. I love tradition. I doubt that there are more than five pastors in this country wearing this get-up right now. I love tradition. I am no iconoclast. I love this sanctuary. I love our music. I love the way we do church. I love all of these things. But here's the thing. I have to love God. I have to love our neighbors. I have to love our people. We have to love God. We have to love our neighbors. We have to love our people more than we love these things. Let me ask you this. If I stopped wearing this get up, Next week, would that bother you? Does it bother you that I'm even talking about it right now? <laughs> Don't worry. I'm an iconoclast in August, but come November, when it cools off, I'll be okay. I'll be good. But think about that. What are the things that we hold precious that are the traditions of men? And if it did make you uncomfortable, I'm telling you, this is not about the hygiene of the hands. It's not about what the preacher wears. It's about the hygiene of the heart. Because these things do get in the way for some people. And I love the fact that Jesus is pushing back. He's saying, remember that our mission is to declare the word of God. It is to bring the nations to God. On the surface, it sounds like the Pharisees are saying something petty. They're saying, wash your hands. But what they're really saying is you're unclean. And when people keep hearing over and over again that because you haven't washed your hands, you're unclean because you're not in the right groups, you're unclean because you're not doing it our way, you're unclean, they begin to think, this is not for me. It's too complicated. There are too many barriers. This is not for me. But again, Jesus says, it's not about the superficial state of your hands. It's about your heart. What are the traditions that we give too much weight? The great 19th century American evangelist D.L. Moody was visiting London. And one evening after he preached, an aristocratic English lady came up to him and criticized him for his bad grammar, for his bad American grammar. This was in the 1800s. She was one of the first grammar Nazis. She said, your grammar is horrible, Dr. Moody. And D.L. Moody responded, Madam, I'm using my poor grammar to win men for Christ. How are you using your perfect grammar? So often human tradition is used to control and to manipulate. And in the process, it undermines the message of God. It puts up too many barriers. It makes the simple gospel too complicated. But the message that Jesus has been preaching everywhere he goes is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance means to turn around. It means to turn from all of those things that are making his message too complicated. Get away from those things that are obscuring the simple 
the simple good news of Jesus Christ. Get away from all of those things. Turn from those things that are just the traditions of men. And turn to the law of God. I know that there are probably people here today who had a hard time getting here. And I don't just mean because of the roads. I don't just mean because of the detours or the barriers or the construction or any of that. I don't mean for those reasons. I mean that there are people who had a hard time getting here today because somebody told you not just that you have dirty hands, but your hands are too dirty. That your life is too dirty. That your past is too dirty. And if you don't wash hands our way, then you are unclean and you have no place here. Well, here's a message for anybody who's been knocked to the side, who's been blockaded, who's been detoured on their way to hear the good news of Jesus. Because you're here today for a reason. The simple truth is this, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has proven that he loves you. He has proven that he has the power to make a difference in your life now and forever. He has proven that he has a plan and purpose for your life. That he has a place for you at his table and a position for you on his team. Don't be turned. Don't be detoured. Don't be blocked. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Loving God, we come to you this morning because we need the simple truth of your gospel. We enjoy our traditions. We love the beauty that they embody. But Lord, do not let us turn and worship them. Do not allow us to, for one moment, give them authority over your mission. Lord, help us to view the boundaries of our faith in right perspective and proportion with the mission of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came not to condemn the world, but, but, that, through the, but that through him the world might be saved. And we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.